Morning everyone. Good to be together this morning. Lovely day and all that. Uh, if you're a visitor here, my name's Graham, um, Minister here. It's great to have you along. Uh, now kids, there are at the back uh, some cool little booklets that we uh, received during the, during the week at our CMS lunch, which you might want to have a grab, grab a look at and read and fill in. There's some coloured pencils up there as well. If I can ask you to come and sit with mum and dad. Um, uh, and the older girls at the back, maybe you can help some of the younger ones. That'll be good. They're the youth group kids, so they know that when I say something, I mean it. <laughs> that'll be good. If you can help the guys, that'll be great. Um, for us, uh, if you've got your Bible open to Mark 14, that'll be really helpful. And also the outline is uh, that in, it's in the church bulletin you would have received as you walked in. But I'll wait for the kids to get sort of sorted. Um, sit with mum and dad, fill in things. You can take those home. All right. Now we've got um. We've just before I pray for us, there's, there's a few way today with our fishing and diving camp on ours, a scripture union fishing and diving camp, and um, a number of travelling down today. I've got Wes, my eldest, travelling driving down himself with Archie. So we're going to pray in a moment for safety and the roads and all that. Uh, I've been warning Wes about making sure that of road work sign and so that I don't get a speeding ticket. It's important because it's expensive and you're paying for it, not me. Um, anyway, how about we pray? And we pray for that camp too. So Rod, um, there's a whole bunch of guys uh, who, who are there uh, leading that team. So let's pray for them and pray for God's word today. Father, we, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can um, be here together, that you've drawn us together. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to listen well, uh, that we focus on, on this... Uh, this part of history where Jesus' trial occurs. Um, and Lord, we pray for fishing and diving camp too. We pray that your, the good news of Jesus will be clear and presented well. And, and we pray, Lord, that um, these young guys would uh, respond in trust and obedience to you. We pray for safety as they travel as well. A whole bunch of people travelling from all across the state and I think even further. So we, we pray that they would arrive safely and have a great time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, I must admit, I, I love doing weddings. It's a bit of a perk of the job. I did a wedding just yeah, last weekend with an older couple um, in their early uh, late 70s and early 80s. And um, it was very cute uh, and, and very romantic. It was really nice. I loved it. Weddings are about promises being made. And so it's the reason why, by the way, we don't, you know, in, at a, in the wedding services that I do at least, we promise I will. We don't promise I do because weddings are all about promises, promises being made to God, uh, to the minister, actually, and also to the people there in the congregation. So for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, um, for richer, for poorer, and so on. So they're promises of faithfulness, aren't they? That's what they are. You promise to be faithful. But sometimes, well, unfaithfulness creeps into our marriages, and it goes without saying the effect that this has on a marriage. It's devastating, isn't it? You might remember the story of, of, uh, of Hosea. Hosea was the 8th century prophet, Israelite prophet, who is told by God to take a wife who is a prostitute who will betray him. Uh, she will not be faithful, but Hosea will. That's the little story in a nutshell. His wife is like Israel, who's been unfaithful to God and has sinned against God and betrayed him by by going after other gods. 
or as Hosea writes, Israel, God's chosen people, the object of God's love and grace, has committed adultery before God. Now, when we open up to Mark chapter 14, well, I think it's a bit like that. We had a good chunk of reading then. It's good for us to read a good section of the Bible together and uh, have a good understanding of the Easter story. We're actually going to focus on verses 53 to 72 today. So if you have that open, that's probably the best spot. But this whole section, well, is a little bit like adultery, I guess. Jesus being betrayed and rejected. I think we could describe it as uh, adultery. These verses tell us of the betrayal of Jesus, his arrest, his trial and rejection. It's the climax of human sinfulness and unfaithfulness. Jesus is rejected by his disciples and betrayed by the very people he came to serve, came to save. Now, if there's a big idea in Mark's gospel, I think as we read through, it's a good gospel to read. If you've never read the Bible before, or if you've got a friend who's never read the Bible before, I always say read Mark's gospel because it talks about Jesus and it's the shortest gospel. Win-win, I reckon. Uh, But if there's a big idea of this gospel, it's who is Jesus? Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? And that's where I'd like us to land in the end today. If these verses are about unfaithfulness and betrayal, what does Jesus' faithfulness tell us about him? What will they say about you and me as well? So in verses 53 to 72, we have Peter, uh, who we've been getting to know over over these last few weeks, uh, we've looked at Peter's sermons and acts. We've looked at Peter's letters and one and two Peter, uh, parts of them at least. But here we have Peter and we've got the Jews, both of whom simultaneously betray Jesus. We've got one, man, one group upstairs and then we've got one man downstairs. Upstairs, there's the Jewish leadership, the high priest, the chief priests and teachers of the law, Israel. And then downstairs, there's Peter, who well, really represents all the disciples, doesn't he? most of whom fled the scene uh, and one fled naked, which is always interesting. Um, Did you catch that? Uh, I reckon that's Mark, by the way. That's just my little theory. Uh, But they fled the scene and they don't want to be identified with Jesus. It's an upstairs and downstairs simultaneous situation. We're going to look at each in turn and then we're going to finish by focusing on Jesus himself. So, verse 53 tells us, that Jesus was taken to the high priest by the armed crowd who arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane. More likely than not, uh, because of the timing of the arrest, it happened at night, he would have been taken to the high priest Caiaphas's house and uh, probably looked something a bit like this, the upstairs-downstairs thing. Uh, he would have been taken to the... There was an upstairs meeting area... Uh, for this makeshift trial, and downstairs there was a courtyard where the guards waited uh, for the news. Now, in this courtyard, there's Peter, who we read before in in verse 54, followed the arresting party at a distance. He followed at a distance because he didn't want to be outed as a disciple of Jesus. Well, he follows at a distance, he makes it to the courtyard, and uh, he joined those who are warming themselves by the fire. Now, Mark, it's interesting here that Mark could have left the information about Peter. So if you, if you open up your Bibles there, we're on uh, 14, verse 66. Mark could have left that information about Peter in the courtyard out of his description of the events and placed that information at the end um, of, of this section we're reading before we go to the trial. But what he wanted to do... Oh, we'll leave that light on, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, great. Uh, what, what, what he wanted to do, Mark the... 
who records what's going on here, he wanted to make sure that we understood the simultaneous rejection of the disciples and of the, um, of the Jewish leadership. He comes back to Peter, which we'll do in a moment. Well, this, this is a dodgy trial. Verse 55 tells us that they were looking for evidence to accuse Jesus. In most trials, the prosecution comes with evidence, don't they? They come with evidence to convict, ready to convict, but not so here, it seems. Many testified against Jesus, but, and each taking their turn, but their testimonies were false. Uh, they contradicted each other so that the evidence was inadmissible. It was a bit of a shambles, really. And it would have been a packed room. Uh, now, I reckon here, most of them would have received a bit of a tip-off that Jesus was going to be arrested that night. Uh, the chief priests and members of the Sanhedrin would have been lining up outside the door to submit uh, some evidence against Jesus. One of their accusations was accusing Jesus of plotting to destroy the temple. Now, these are, these are strong words to hear if you're a Jewish leader. Attempting to quote Jesus' words, or at least what they understood them to mean, uh, let's read from verse 57. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against Jesus. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another, not made by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Another example. See, with all the inadmissible and contradictory evidence, it's a wonder really that they could hold on to Jesus. The trial was not going well for the prosecution. In fact, if there was some... Uh, it's as if, really, don't you think there's some other power uh, directing and proceeding directing the proceedings because the, the Jews sure couldn't get it together you see I think Jesus just like he controlled his life uh, Jesus also controlled the timing of his death well finally because of the deadlock of proceedings the high priest stands up to address Jesus and presses him to answer his accusers the high priest knew his only hope of a conviction was a confession but Jesus, within his rights, refuses to answer for now. I don't know if you've seen the movie um, A Few Good Men. It's all pretty old now. and has some, uh, It's pretty dated. Uh, but you might remember, it's a fairly famous scene. It gets quoted in various social situations. Um, it's where Lieutenant Gaffey, that's Tom Cruise, finally puts Colonel Jessup, that's Jack Nicholson, up on the stand. It's the famous you-can't-handle-the-truth scene. So you've probably heard that phrase anyway. Uh, you can't handle the truth. It's a big moment in the movie. It all comes to this scene. What was needed was a confession from Colonel Jessup. Do you remember the question he asked? Did you order the code red? Did you order the code red? And he needed a, yes, I ordered the code red, and he gets it. The, the, the question at the end of verse 61 in Mark 14 here is that moment in Jesus' trial. The high priest needed a confession. Are you the son of God? Uh, otherwise, Jesus would walk. You, you could see Jesus in the witness box and the chief prosecuting lawyer stand up to speak as a hush in the public gallery. This critical moment has arrived. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? He asks him. That's the question. The question directed at Jesus asks whether he's the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. A man, the great messianic leader prophesied in the Old Testament. 
a Messiah imprisoned and, and abandoned by his followers, that just doesn't make sense. In fact, it's offensive to the Jews. A person in such circumstances, such as Jesus, a person who claimed to be the Messiah, the Jews would argue, what well, makes a mockery of, of God's promises and is a blasphemer. In fact, many Jews would say that God alone had to announce the Messiah. So making a person like Jesus look even more guilty. You're beaten and battered, you've been arrested, look at your followers, they're all gone. How can you possibly be a Messiah? It's offensive, it's blasphemous. We don't like you. <laughs> I want to show you a, a section of um, uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. Um, don't worry, it's not the crucifixion section. I realise the kids are here. Um, uh, but it's a really good section. There are good and bad bits in the movie. Um, I wouldn't totally recommend it. It's certainly not a family movie to sit down and watch with the young ones. Um, but I reckon this scene's pretty good. I like it because, well, funny enough, I like it because of the passion of the people. They're very angry. And, they, and then pretty much follows word for word what we've been reading. Uh, but let's, let's see how they respond. And also, watch out for Peter in this scene too. Okay. Thanks, guys. Ke an eshalak yeshuansaret amar lana en ant meshiyakha bar elachachai I think it's done really well, actually. I think the, the emotion of it is really good and the anger. And that's what we see here in this, in this scene. And so did you hear Jesus to the high priest? His answer to the high priest's question. He says, I am, this is verse 62, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Why does this offend them so much? Uh, we see in the text here. Jesus, you see, not only admits to being the Messiah, the long-awaited God's King, the Christ, it's a confession he avoided in his ministry because of the political connotations. It would have slowed down what he wanted to do. Um, but as he does that, he confesses his divine nature. That's what he's doing. And so he alludes to a messianic prophecy. That's a prophecy in the Old Testament about this king, God's king to come. And he alludes to it in Daniel chapter 7. Jesus describes himself as the enthroned son of man. It's all messianic 
language. This is what this is the Messiah to come. Uh, soon to be in the presence of God, one who is given authority, glory and sovereign power over all people. You see, it's a really powerful image. The Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, that's the place of highest honour. In no uncertain terms, Jesus was telling the high priest and those in that room that he was God. That's what he was doing. And so at this moment, it's as if the defendant steps out of the witness box and becomes the judge. Because the Jews knew that God is judge. And so he stepped down, becomes judge, and the Sanhedrin didn't like it one bit, did they? Jesus' answer from uh, Daniel's prophecy was all the evidence they needed. Uh, Jesus was condemned to death, and for good measure, well, he was beaten, he was spat upon, uh, he was humiliated, rejected. Meanwhile, back downstairs, verses 66 to 67, Peter is making himself comfortable by the fire. The contrast between Jesus' pain and Peter warming himself by the fire couldn't be any clearer. It's as if Peter, as he warms himself by the fire, whilst Jesus really has his hand in the fire. No, but Peter's comfort doesn't last, does it? He's interrogated as to whether he's a Nazarene. That's the first one. And then one of, you're one of them, they say. You're with him, the Galilean, a disciple of Jesus, and, and Peter strongly denies Jesus at every opportunity. He's ashamed and embarrassed to be associated with Jesus. And so Peter curses himself and he swore, swears at others. Approval by those around him was more important than the Lord's approval. In reality, Peter's betrayal exemplified all Jesus' disciples because they were nowhere to be seen, were they? They may not have been denying Jesus publicly like Peter, but instead they denied him as they hid or they fled uh, for their own safety. Well, in verse 72, the rooster crowed. Betrayal was complete. The deed was done. Uh, adultery, you could call it. Peter had slept with the gods of his age. Comfort and acceptance. And he knew it and he wept. Well, in a couple of weeks' time, as we move on to it's actually point two in our outline, uh, a couple of weeks' time, we'll, um, Australians and New Zealanders will remember the service men and women who died giving their lives for their country in war. Anzac Day is coming up. Um, I do hope you join me on uh, the Anzac Day service. Wonderful opportunity down the road, 11 a.m., uh, the School of Arts, to, to share the gospel with people. I'm going to be talking about friendship and mateship and how Jesus is the greatest friend of all. So pray for me, will you? Now, the stories of the fighting at Gallipoli, more specifically at the Neck, if you've read a bit about this sort of thing, they're severe. They really are uh, atrocious, and they tell us much about sacrifice. At the Neck, as it came to be known, on the 7th of August, 1915, over four waves of attack, around 150 men each, uh, the 8th and the 10th Australian Light Horse Brigade, were to attack the Turkish front line. Before the assault was to start, the Turks were bombarded by artillery and naval gunfire. Sadly, not only did most of this miss the Turks' front line, but it finished seven minutes, seven minutes early at 4.23am and the ground attack was due to start at 4.30am. In those seven minutes, 
that followed the bombing, the Turks were able to emerge from their shelters and get ready for an Australian assault. They were eager and confident. The Australians from the 8th Light Horse leapt out from the trenches, but they were met with a barrage of, of lethal gunfire. And some made it only five or six steps before they were cut down and shot. Not one man made it out alive. The second uh, line of light horsemen waited two minutes and in spite of the terrible carnage that they'd just witnessed, they sprang forward only to be cut down again. The tenth light horse now filed into the vacant places in the trenches, knowing that they would have well, knowing that they were facing certain death. One commentator, uh, believing the attack could not be, um, uh, sorry, I should say one commander, uh, believing the attack could not succeed, he appealed unsuccessfully to the, for it to be stopped, this final wave. Another officer told his men as they waited to face the Turkish guns in the trenches there, he said to them, you've got ten minutes to live. But the killing went on, and within minutes, 800 Australians lay dead on that day, or wounded, uh, on ground about the size of two tennis courts. See, on that, on that day, these Australian soldiers knew their chances of survival were minimal. Just incredible just to think about it, really. Um, it, minimal, that's optimistic. <laughs> they faced certain death, but still they leapt out of the trenches and they died for a king and country, they would call it back then. It is truly shocking. What we read here in Mark 14 is that Jesus knew that he was going to die. Actually, there was no if at all. There's no chances that are minimal. He knew he was going to die. He knew he'd be betrayed, rejected and sentenced to death even. In Mark's Gospel, there are two occasions where Jesus predicted his betrayal. Uh, there's one in Mark 8, there's one in Mark 10. Let's have a look at Mark 8. I've got it up here on the screen. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the coming, his coming suffering at the hands of the Jewish leadership. And he says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and, again after, th uh, and after three days rise again. But it wasn't just his treatment by the Jewish leaders that Jesus predicted. He also knew that he'd be betrayed by those who loved him and were close to him. So during their final meal together, Jesus said to Judas, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And then later at the Mount of Olives, we read that Jesus said to his disciples from Mark 14 verse 27, and you probably got that open in front of you, he says to them, you will all fall away. But how did Peter respond? He said, ah, oh, even if I fall away, sorry, even if all fall away, I will not, he said. And then, he, then Jesus responds, I tell you the truth, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Oh, we know what happened, don't, they? don't we? Jesus was disowned, rejected and betrayed, uh, just as he said would happen. Let's tie a few things together here. See, friends, as we, we, let, let's, we could wrap things up like this. Let me tell you how we could do it. We could pause and consider our own lives. Worth doing, I think. We could talk about our own betrayal of Jesus, those moments when we fail in our faithfulness. We could heed the warning and lesson of Peter, couldn't we? That talking about your own faithfulness really won't mean a thing until you actually are faithful. 
We could talk about the forgiveness that Jesus offers people like you and I, like Peter, because we know we need it. The forgiveness that Jesus talks about only a few weeks later in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 and in 1 Peter as well. We could, we could talk about those things. We could talk all about, all about those things and that I think would be fair enough. But I reckon Mark here wants us to do something a bit different here. I think Mark wants us to see Jesus. I think Mark wants us to see, the, see Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus' betrayal and rejection in his rejection show us the real Jesus. Jesus who did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. As Peter himself wrote, the righteous dying for the unrighteous in 1 Peter 3. The faithful Hosea dying for his unfaithful wife to bring us to God. Like those World War I soldiers, he knew he was going to die, but he did not die for his friends, for his country, for his mates, his king. Jesus died for enemies, his enemies, sinners like you and me. Jesus' death was the price paid for our sin, the price needed to heal the marriage between God and his people. So today, let's give thanks for Jesus. That's what I want to do. And yes, maybe like, remember the tax collector in Luke 18, if you remember him, he beat his breast and he cried out. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe that's what we need to do as well. But we do. Say sorry for our sin, our unfaithfulness, our betrayal, and ask God for strength as we follow him. But let's give thanks to Jesus, who on, the night, on that night, he remained faithful to his promises, when all around him was unfaithfulness. It would be unheard of, don't you think? Uh, a judge stepping down and dying for the guilty party in front of him? It's unheard of. Taking on himself the punishment that the guilty deserved and then throwing the rejection of the ones he would save? It's completely unheard of. Well, not quite, because we read it here today, don't we? This is exactly what Jesus did through his arrest and trial and crucifixion. Isaiah 53, Isaiah pro prophesied about Jesus, about his death, his rejection, his betrayal. He writes, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. How about we pray? Father, we thank you today that you have um, reminded us, and perhaps even for the first time, Lord, you've told us about your son Jesus who died for our sins, who was betrayed and rejected, who saves us, not because of what we've done, but only because of your grace and mercy to us. Lord, please help us to respond in a right and proper way today. Help us respond, responding with thankfulness. Help us to respond, uh, Lord, with obedience to you and trust in you. Lord, help us to respond and make you Lord as well as Saviour. Uh, Lord, we pray and thank you for our church today. We thank you for your word. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids are in today, so we're not, we're not going to do a question and answer time, um, but I encourage you to use your little comment slips. If you've got a question, um, put it in the box at the back, tear off the slip from the bulletin, or if you're new today and um, 
you'd like to keep in touch with things that are going on at the church, then fill out a little form and put it in the box at the back, the little comment card box. All right, Grace, we're going we're to pray together. Thanks. So we're going to have a, a short time of prayer.